Thanks, thanks, Carrie. Good morning, Highland. You know, as the children were walking through uh, the auditorium with their palm branches today, did you get the lyrics of the song that God is raising up a new generation? Uh, it was just so poetic, so poignant that here they are, these children marching and singing and waving their palm branches, and we're singing about God raising up another generation. That's part of the legacy of Highland, and uh, it's beautiful. It is beautiful. Uh, well, the uh, 2021 Major League Baseball season um, is beginning in just a, a few days. And uh, uh, the Minnesota Twins in the last several years have had some measure of success, have they not? Uh, in 2019, uh, they won their division. They actually won 101 games, and they set a major league record for sitting, hitting 307 home runs. So they made their playoffs in 2019, and then in a COVID-shortened season in 2020, they again won their division and uh, went into the playoffs. Is there any reason for us to continue talking about their record in the playoffs? Yeah, I didn't think so either. But even though I'm not a huge baseball fan, I do like at times to be able to play catch. And so I think it's really important that uh, everyone learn how to play catch. And I've got a couple of grandchildren that I assume uh, in a couple more weeks I'll, I'll be playing catch with. Uh, I, I really don't know if uh, they're going to be baseball players. They, they might play soccer players or, you know, softball. I really don't know what they're going to do. But I do anticipate that we will be able to play catch. And, and frankly, I think that's, that playing catch is something that every child needs to learn. They need to learn how to throw a baseball overhand, don't they? They really do. And you know what? Once you learn how to play catch, I mean, you, you really never forget how to do that, do you? And it's amazing, you know, you're playing catch, and you can talk about a lot of significant things because it just seems so very natural, doesn't it? And I get to play catch with a southpaw this morning. It doesn't happen very often, but, you know, there's a great career ahead for southpaws who can pitch and throw the ball hard. I told Aiden, make sure he didn't throw me any hard stuff today. No heat. No heat because we don't want to break anything on the stage here. But uh, what would you think if I told you that evangelism is like playing catch with a baseball? Would you believe me? There's an interesting word that is used in the book of Acts. It's in the 17th chapter. Paul happens to be in the town of uh, Athens. And we're told that while he was there in Athens, he was having a conversation with some philosophers. And uh, the w Greek word for conversation is very interesting. It's, it's a compound word, and uh, a compound word has a root and then a prefix attached to it. And so this word for conversation, the root word means to throw, and the prefix means with. You put the two together, and it literally means to play catch. So the Apostle Paul is playing catch with philosophers. They're, they're not playing catch with a baseball, but they're playing catch with ideas. And so that's what evangelism is. It's like playing catch. And so let's thank Aiden 
for playing catch with me this morning. Yeah. Nice job, Aiden. Is your arm sore? Mine is. All right. Thanks so very, very much. I believe that personal evangelism is like playing catch. It can be so very natural, and yet it is also extremely supernatural when we understand the role of the Spirit in the personal sharing of our faith. So, there are three types of evangelism that I see that are in the book of Acts. There is, first of all, what we would call proclamational evangelism. Proclamational evangelism is done by gifted, spirit-filled people. And so we've got Peter and we've got Paul. Uh, we, in present day, we've got Billy Graham, Luis Palau, who recently went home to be with the Lord. I talk about a coronation in heaven. Uh, for uh, Luis Palau. So that's proclamational evangelism. But also in the book of Acts, we see that there is incarnational evangelism. That occurs by healthy, spirit-filled communities of faith. So that as the community of faith is so loving and caring for one another, the unbelievers around them are, are attracted. They are drawn to the faith community because they see the loving expression of this community caring for one another. That's incarnational evangelism. And then thirdly, there is personal evangelism. And this is done by spirit-filled believers. And that's what we're going to see in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. I invite you to turn with me to that book because in my estimation, this is the model for personal evangelism. You know, there's a lot of emphasis in the New Testament to go to the ends of the earth and to preach the gospel. Here is how the majority of of believers will do that. And so it's going to be a very practical, a very tactile message today as we think about this. So we begin in Acts 8, 26 through 28. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch who was an important official in charge of the treasury of Candace, or Candace here, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. Now, this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. So let's just stop there. Let me draw a couple of observations from this passage. Notice that the Spirit of God is directing Philip. Now, here in verse 26, it's technically an angel of the Lord. But as we continue in this passage, we're going to see that it is the Spirit who spoke very specifically to Philip and informed him where to go and what to do. And we see also that Philip was responsive. When he heard what the angel had said to him, he arose and went. I believe that sometimes the biggest hurdle for a believer sharing his faith, is to get started. There's that inertia that must be overcome. 
And once that inertia is overcome, it becomes a real joy to do that. But there's a certain amount of fear and there's a hesitancy to get started. Philip, of course, is responsive to what the Spirit is saying to him. Now, we also see the Ethiopian eunuch in his heart. He's a man of great stature and responsibility in the court of Queen Candace. A significant barrier is going to be broken down in this conversation. Now, last week we saw how Philip was so instrumental in breaking down another barrier, that of the gospel reaching to the Samaritans. Here in, in chapter 8, verses 26 and following, it's going to be uh, God using Philip to break down the barrier towards the Gentiles. This is an Ethiopian. He's an African. He is a Gentile. Now, he is a Gentile, but he is a convert, not to Christianity, but to Old Testament Judaism. So God has been at work bringing him to become a convert to that, but he has not yet been exposed to Christianity. And so... He happens to be returning to his home after being in Jerusalem for one of the three annual pilgrimage feasts that they were expected to attend. So as he's on his way home, he is reading from the book of Isaiah. And we're going to come back to that in just a moment. But here's the first principle that I would want us to learn about sharing our faith. It is natural when we are responsive to the Spirit of God. It's natural when we are responsive to the Spirit of God. So what does it mean to be responsive to the Spirit? Well, it's how we begin our day. Hopefully we begin our day with some time with God, reading, praying, inviting the fullness of the Spirit of God to be with us in the course of the day. And then as the day unfolds, to cultivate an ear that can hear His voice when He speaks to us. So that's one side of being responsive to the Spirit. But the other side of that is also building enough margin into our days and into our lives that when the Spirit of God speaks, that we have space to respond to that interruption of our schedule. Truth be told, that's been a struggle for me. My personality is such that I want to be very efficient and productive in the day. So I have a tendency, I guess before semi-retirement, to really pack my day full and didn't leave as much margin for the Spirit of God to direct me to the unexpected. Case in point, some years ago I met a man, uh, and as I chatted with this man I learned that he was a pretty avid bicyclist. Well, several days later, I was going to an appointment. Uh, I was going to a destination, and there he was on the side of the road. His, his bike was leaned up against the fence, and he was leaning up against the fence. And as I drove by, I recognized him. I waved at him, and he waved at back to me. It never dawned on me that the only reason why a road bicyclist would be on the side of the road is because they were having a flat tire or they broke down. Never dawned on me. So I waved at him and just kept on going, ignoring what might be his problem, but I got to my destination on time. Well, after that experience, I, I, I ran into this fellow again, and I said, uh, hey, you were, you, know, you were leaning against the fence on the side of the road. What was going on? He says, well, I, I was broken down. 
And, and I realized that, in, indeed, uh, after I became a road bicyclist, that that's the only reason why a person would stop, because they're broken down. Well, the rest of the story is that he and I became great friends, and we rode many miles together. But he never lets me forget <laughs> that story of being so insensitive to his situation. You know, and there's a sense in which, in the course of our days, to be responsive to the Spirit means that if he were to say something very personal to us and want to interrupt our schedule, would we be open and receptive to what he's saying? Could we hear his voice, but would we have enough margin that we could adjust our schedule in order to be available for the Spirit of God uh, to use us? And so let's continue on now with verses 29 uh, to 31. So the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So we'll stop there. Notice that the Spirit of God tells Philip to stay close to this chariot and this man. Stay near him. I don't know if you have noticed this, but have you been in conversation with someone um, you've not met before? And as you talk to this person, you sense that there's a connection that, that could be very real and genuine. There's a chemistry that, that you sense that might occur to, to, for this relationship to, to go a little bit deeper. Have you ever thought that maybe this was the Spirit of God telling you, stay near that person? It could be. A, a new couple moved into our condominium building, and, and I met the man uh, last week in the hallway. I was coming up from the garage, and I was carrying my bicycle gear. And as I'm uh, walking in the hallway, I meet this man, introduce myself to him, and he has also got bicycle gear in his hand. And so we stop and introduce each other, and we begin to have a conversation. And you know what's beginning to churn in my mind? Lord, would this be you saying to me, stay near this man? Too early to tell, but I sensed that it could be. You see, God may bring people into our lives where there is just a natural affinity. There's chemistry. It's God's way of saying, stay near that person. So what does Philip do? He runs to the chariot. I mean, he is eager. He runs to the chariot. But before he speaks to the man in the chariot, he first heard him reading from the book of Isaiah. I think that's very significant. He is so eager. And sometimes we might be eager to share our faith with someone, but we sometimes forget what Philip did. Before he spoke to the eunuch, he first heard him. He listened to what he was saying. You know, sometimes we may think that talking is evangelizing and that evangelism really is only about sharing and speaking. And yet one of the partners on Billy Graham's evangelistic team said this, that, that the most effective witnesses listen 80% of the time 
and speak 20% of the time. It's less about talking and preaching and quoting Scripture, which at a certain point in time will be important to bring the Word of God in. It's less about that, however, and it is more about loving and listening, observing, and asking questions. That's exactly what Philip does. He listens, and then he asks the question, do you understand what you are reading? I truly believe that the key to a good conversation and the beginning of a fruitful relationship is the ability to ask insightful questions. When we meet someone, the conversation obviously starts in the safe area. Where do you live? What do you do? Da-da-da. Are you married? Have children? Those sorts of things. Factual information, data-filled questions. Nothing wrong with that. But it stays then at this very safe level. There's something to be said about taking that first level of questions and asking another type of question, which would be this. So if you've, you're in this career, would you tell me why you chose that career? Do you realize what's happening there? Suddenly you're going beyond just facts, but you're going a little bit deeper and you're going to be learning a little bit more about their personality, the choices they made, and uh, things that go beyond the surface. And you're beginning to go deeper with that person. I think that is so incredibly crucial. And that's why, you know, Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? Do you see how significant that question was? I read a book a few years ago. Uh, it's entitled, I Beg to Differ. The subtitle said that it is navigating difficult conversations with truth and love. And I tell you what, if there is a more relevant book for today's conversations when there is so much polarization in our society, I can't imagine one. And so in this book, the author recommends that there are four steps that we take in having a difficult conversation with someone who has a different opinion. Number one, he said, is to find out what that person believes. And so we start there. And the tendency for the majority of us is that after we hear what they believe, that we will then say, well, this is what we believe, is it not? And immediately there is an adversarial dimension to the relationship. And so this, this man says, after you get to level, through level one, what do they believe? The, the second re uh, response to take is to find out why they believe that. And you see, we're, we begin to learn that behind every position, there is something in their experience that has shaped that belief. We want to know what that is. Not just what they believe, but why they believe that. Now, after they tell us why they believe something, then we're inclined to say, well, let me tell you what I believe, and this is why I believe that. And the author says, don't go there yet. He says, a third level is to find points of agreement. Build a bridge. Build a bridge so that you can continue to dialogue. Find points of agreement. 
And then finally he says, in light of all that has transpired, then you ask the question, what should I do with this information? And chances are that if this is a person with whom you might have an ongoing relationship, you might realize that I don't have to challenge that person in this conversation. That, you know, there's going to be time and opportunity for us to get to know each other better. And we'll be able to talk about our differences in the context of a healthy, mature relationship. I tell you what, folks, if we would apply those four principles in our lives, we would be able to talk more so about politics and religion and morality and ethics in a way that is more conciliatory than rather than being so polarizing. So, the eunuch expresses his difficulty. He says, how can I understand this unless someone helps me? And so, his statement reveals that he is opening himself up to Philip. And then he goes a step further and he invites Philip into the chariot with him. That is a very significant place in, uh, of development in a personal relationship. That we are invited into someone else's lives. Now, the tendency might be for us to, to share the full gospel too early before someone is really ready to receive all of that. Because if we truly care about people and show it, they will invite us into their lives. And that brings us to the second principle of sharing our faith. It is natural when we build relationships. It's natural when we build relationships. And so, as we get close to people, we listen to them, we ask good questions, and they invite us to go deeper with them. Now, in this story, of course, it's all compressed into one episode there on, on this road. But for the majority of us, this is going to be played out over a longer period of time. I truly believe that the evangelism is the sharing of three stories. There is hearing their story, very important to understand their story. And then, as the relationship develops, we will have opportunity to share our story of how we have come to faith in Christ, the difference that He has made. But thirdly, then, there is the sharing of God's story, the best story of all, is it not? Funny story about uh, a friend of mine. Uh, he tells it about himself. And he was a, a first baseman. He was a junior in high school. He was a first baseman for his high school team. He, he was second in depth chart behind a senior who was a very good player. But he was waiting for his senior year when that fellow would have graduated. I mean, it was his position. First base was his. He had waited for this opportunity. He was good enough for it. This was going to be his moment. So it's his senior year, and uh, tryouts began, and Lee is feeling very good about his opportunity this year. Unfortunately, in that same school district, there was a young freshman who was also trying out for the baseball team, and he played first base, and his name just happened to be Kent Herbeck. Well... Kent quickly overcame Lee's skills and became uh, the first baseman. And, of course, went on uh, to play 14 years for the Minnesota Twins and helping them win two World Series. Now, it's not that Lee was a bad baseball player, 
But it's that Kent Herbeck was so much better. And I believe that in the context of, of a relationship with an unbeliever that we hear their story and we'll be able to tell our story. And then there comes that moment in time in which they are ready to receive God's story, the best story of all. But it takes time to build that kind of a relationship where you can share all those stories. So let's go to verses 32 through 35. And so this is the passage of Scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. This is from Isaiah 53. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who was the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip, notice that, then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. He, he weighed it. And he lets the relationship develop. And he says, then he told him the good news about Jesus. So this eunuch is reading from Isaiah 53. It's probably the greatest Old Testament prophecy about the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, Isaiah 53 reveals a crucial truth that mankind is separated from God and we are under His judgment. Now, man's depravity says this, that lost people don't know that they are lost. They don't know that they are lost and under His judgment. Uh, Trudy and I watched a, a movie a couple of weeks ago entitled New in Town. Maybe some of you have seen that. It, it, it features Renee Zellweger, and she comes to New Alm, Minnesota to improve the efficiency of a food plant. And uh, after she arrives, there is a very well-meaning and yet socially awkward uh, resident of New Alm that is having a conversation with her. And uh, in the course of that conversation, this woman looks at Renee and says to her, have you found Jesus yet? And it got very quiet because Renee had never heard that kind of an expression before. And so she responds and she says, I didn't know that Jesus was missing. Now, when you're in the church, we understand that, don't we? Have you found Jesus yet? It makes sense to all of us. But imagine what that sounds like to someone who is lost and doesn't know it. Someone who doesn't have the vocabulary that we have. And so, you know, the reality is, that most people today don't know that they are lost and they don't know that they need Him. And it's going to take time for them to come to that place, which leads us to the third principle about sharing our faith. It is natural when we relax, when we relax in God's work and God's timing. Because it does take time, for God to bring that knowledge, that awareness, that conviction, as well as that need, uh, it's going to take time. And therefore, 
we should relax in the work that God is doing in that person's life, and we should, frankly, enjoy the journey because we have been invited by God to walk with that person through that journey of coming to see and experience His grace. What a vantage point we have as we pray and support and responsive to the Spirit as He is at work. And there will come that moment in time as it came for Philip where we will have the opportunity to share the good news, the full gospel, the good news about life in Jesus. And so we come to verses 36 through 40. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Now, it is so clear as we look at this passage that God is at work in the life of this Ethiopian eunuch. I mean, for goodness sakes, he's been to church. He's reading the Bible. He's reading from the book of Isaiah, the fifth gospel. He is reading from Isaiah 53, which talks about the suffering and death and resurrection of Jesus. This man is low-hanging fruit. And so here's the fourth principle about sharing our faith. Sharing our faith is supernatural when we see God's work and God's timing. It is supernatural as He draws people to Himself. It is so beautiful to see it in this story. You see, every person has a starting point, a different starting point. And some will have very little knowledge. Others will have a lot of knowledge. Different starting points. And also every person is going to have a different pace at which they embrace the truth uh, uh, about uh, the plan of salvation. And so we need to relax in the supernatural work of God that He's going to bring people along to, uh, to the time in which the moment is so ripe for them to respond to the gospel message. In Jerusalem, there is an ancient engineering marvel that's known as Hezekiah's Tunnel. It was built by Hezekiah in the year 701 B.C. And it was done for a very specific, specific reason. <clears throat> Excuse me. Jerusalem is a walled city, which meant... which meant that when the city was under siege, they could go into the city and they could remain there for weeks or months because they had food stored for them. However, they did not have fresh water inside the walls of the city. The, the fresh spring was outside the walls, and so Hezekiah commissioned a tunnel to be built to bring the water from that spring into the walls, into the walls of the city. And so this tunnel, Hezekiah's tunnel, is 1,750 feet long, chiseled through pure hard stone. And in the tunnel itself, there's an inscription telling us how Hezekiah had that done. There was a group of engineers and workers who began at one end of the tunnel, and they chiseled their way 
dropped into that rock, and at the other end of the tunnel, there was another group of engineers and workers, and they chiseled from the other end. Now, 701 B.C., I want you to think about the tools that they had to use, not only to chisel through the rock, but to determine the direction and the depth. And yet, we're told that they came together so beautifully from either end, and the water flowed into the city. It's a beautiful picture of the work of God in bringing someone to faith. Because at one end, there is us, Christians, doing the natural thing of being responsive to the Spirit, building relationships, relaxing in God's timing and God's work. And at the other end of the tunnel, we have God working on the unbeliever, bringing him, him or her closer and closer. And so there comes that moment in time where the natural work that we do and the supernatural work of the Spirit come together. And the water of life flows into that person. And one who is dead comes alive. And one who has been a slave to sin becomes a son or a daughter of the king. And someone whose eternity said hell is changed. And suddenly their zip code is heaven for eternity. You and I get to be a, a partner in the work of God. I want you to know today that sharing our faith, it is so natural, and yet it is supernatural. How wonderful it is. This is the model for us to emulate. Let's pray. Father, we come in just a, a short week to the greatest event in our Christian experience, the resurrection of Jesus. And yet, Lord, today we, we live in a world where increasingly there's less and less understanding of the meaning of Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Lord, for so many people, a Good Friday is even no longer a, a vacation day or, uh, Lord, a holiday. It's just considered a, a, a longer weekend. And, Lord, Easter means nothing. In schools, Easter break is now spring break. The level of ignorance about, Lord, the greatest day in history is lost. And people today don't understand that they are lost. Lord, that they, they face a future that is just beyond description. And so, Lord, you have given to us the privilege of, of going into all the world. And, Lord, it begins just one person. One person with whom you have put in our lives and you have said, stay near. Stay near. 
and walk with them through the journey that you will bring them. Lord, it's so natural, and yet when you bring new life, it's so supernatural. And so, Lord, may we be better equipped because of Philip's example to play catch with unbelievers about significant things like the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.